Hello and welcome to the Everyday Problems podcast, a podcast about the problems we face each day as we go about our busy lives. I'm Tom Corneal and my co-host Liam Tarvit and I have had many dealings with depression and anxiety and other related issues and wanted to provide a safe space where we can normalise the conversation around mental health and its impact on everything from the workplace to grief to just getting through the day. I should point out that we're not medical professionals and we don't profess to have all the answers. But we are veterans of the embattled mind and we hope that by sharing our war stories we might shed some light on solutions that could be useful to you or people that you know. In today's episode, Liam and I discuss something that's extremely personal to me. It was an accident that took place around four years ago. The results were pretty unimaginable and I don't want to give too much away before you listen into the episode. But essentially, I'd been suffering with grief and stress and hadn't been dealing with those problems. What happens when we lock these things away is they can build up and they can manifest themselves in things that can be really, really quite dangerous to us. That's exactly what happened to me. I'd like to warn listeners that today's episode does have some details that might be difficult for those of a squeamish disposition to listen to. But please stick with it. For the mental health aspects, I think this is probably going to be quite useful to a few people. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can help support the podcast and other important projects by going to patreon.com forward slash Tom Cornell and donating a little amount each month, which helps us keep the lights on. Every donation is gratefully received and thank you so, so much to those who are already supporting the show and other projects. Apologies for the occasional glitch in the sound. At this point in time, Liam and I are still recording the show remotely and we do get the occasional little hiccup in the audio. As per the show notes, if anyone listening to this is feeling particularly vulnerable or at risk at the moment for emotional reasons, we definitely recommend that you speak to your GP or even call Samaritans. They can be so much help. So without further ado, here we go with today's episode. Cool. Well, that's that's a yawn. Has it been a long day so Mm. far, Liam? Oh, mate, the first Monday back at work after a week off is always a long day. <laughs> That's very true. Yep. That's very true. So how are you out of 10 today? Oh, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> well, now I've finished work, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling much, uh, much more sprightly. So I'm going to go for the um, uncontentious 7.1. Okay, very good. I'm on, I'm on the plus side of the 7. Very good. How about yourself? I'm a really strong eight today. Nice. I, yeah, I, I sort of, I try and reserve nines and tens for like uh, I don't know wedding day and holiday or something like that. But um, it's been a really lovely 24 hours for listeners that aren't aware. My um, my wife Cara, who is a potter, at Cara Lee Ford Ceramics. Um, did a little shout out for this show online and I know that that is the reason why we probably have lots of extra listeners to this episode when we eventually put it live we've got lots and lots of well wishes and lots of people um, saying lovely things about the show and it's been 24 hours of responding to just really lovely messages to be nice a big thank you to, to Cara but also thank you to all of you guys that tuned in that, that weren't listening to us before. I hope that you've enjoyed the shows you got around to listening to um, in the time between then and, and now. And uh, hopefully this one will be equally as enlightening, if not more. And a warm welcome to you as well, if this is the Absolutely. first one that you've listened to. Indeed. So, Tom, do you want to tell us what we're going to be talking about this afternoon? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, all right. Um, so today we thought we would talk about something which I didn't talk about for a really long time, but which I have come to realise over the last year or so, really, I suppose, that it was the catalyst for probably for this podcast, for the idea of the seeds of an idea of, of doing this podcast and for the book that I'm currently writing about mental health and, and um how mental health challenges fit into an everyday work life and things like that. And the subject is an accident that I had around four years ago in which I fell from a window onto a patio and broke my back and shattered my heel. Um, And so to 
it's something that Liam and I have talked about before, but I don't think we've gone into masses of detail and certainly we haven't talked about it in, I don't think we've talked about it at all on the podcast. And the reason that no. it's important um, to, to talk about, I, I thought would be a good idea to get this out in the open is because it's, it's really linked to uh, mental health issues, which should become clear as we go through the show today. And it's something which for a long time, I, it, it was a pretty major event in my life. So it's not every day you break your back, um, let alone from what in fact was a sleepwalking incident. Um, and I was very embarrassed about it for a long time and didn't want to talk about it lots because I didn't want it to be the thing that defined me. I didn't want for anyone that, um, that makes me to remember me as the guy that broke his back falling out of a window it seemed like there was more to life than that but actually I've sort of come to realize the importance of that incident uh, since in, in the years since it happened and all of the wonderful things that it, it probably sparked off and I, I've got a lot to be grateful for in that strange um, incident so it seemed like a really good thing actually to share with you today and rather than me just um, go on about it for a while I thought I would throw it open to you Liam to ask me any questions you like and I'll talk as openly as possible about what, what it is that happened and why. Well, I guess for me, a starting point, if you're able to, would be to give us a bit of an insight into what was happening in the build-up to your accident, maybe what happened uh, or what, what you can remember or what you can recall of the accident itself. And then afterwards, maybe we can talk about the rehabilitation and rebuilding and restructuring your life that that happened as a result of it. Sure. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, what happened in the, the run up to it? Um, I had been struggling for some years. Uh, I was working in a well-paid, uh, a great job. And I'm putting that in inverted commas, not because it wasn't a great job, but because I think all too often we we sort of build our lives around a, a job that we feel that we are supposed to conform to because it's making people happy or because it's secure, etc. The crucial thing about the job was it hadn't been making me happy for a long time. So I worked with loads of lovely people at a company which um, was generally great, really good. Um, all companies are, have their good and, and bad parts. This company for the most part had looked after me. I'd had some great times. I had been not enjoying the, the job for some time. It was in the investments industry, meeting loads and loads of interesting characters, but for quite a long time, just feeling like it wasn't fulfilling me. I had grown up in my formative years. I was kind of a, a punk rocker into art and drama and literature and um, I'm not saying that anyone who does those things can't then go on to to do a, a corporate job but for me as the, the longer I was in it and the more I climbed and I, I was I got to a reasonably senior position and was doing well in terms of my career I felt that I was having to give more and more of my my time and my brain space to this job and what it was doing the, the flip side of that was it was pushing my other things my other hobbies my band um, all the things that I wanted to do outside of work it was pushing that more and more to the sidelines and I'd reached a point um, four or five years in where my all of those things that really made up more of my true identity had been pushed to the side very very much so and I was really struggling at the time I was going through a bit of a, a tough patch um, and I felt like I was starting to not recognize myself a little bit more it was all really weighing on my mind and on top we through a, a particularly stressful project um, a, of which I was uh, one of the, the main people involved uh, it's far too boring to go into on the radio, on the uh, podcast here the icing on the cake, I guess, um, my mum passed away and 
I was very close to my mum. We have a very loving family. We had a very close family. And my mum had rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease that there is arthritis in there. It does affect the joints, but actually it's much more than that. It attacks the immune system and and basically makes the the sufferer vulnerable to anything that's going really. So my mum suffered for over a decade uh, and eventually it it was very, very long, very painful, um, very painful for, for all of us, frankly, to, to have to go through it. And my mum eventually uh, lost her fight with it five years ago. And it was on the morning of her, she managed to make it as far as her 47th wedding anniversary with my dad and all the family were there because we knew that she didn't have long left. So we were all with her when, when the moment happened. And that period in itself was obviously incredibly intense. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the time that I had away from work, my um, my employer, my boss in particular, were, were very, very good about it. They didn't want to hear from me. They knew, obviously, this was a major thing in my life and were like, just go and good, do whatever you need to, to do. And I stayed in Taunton where my family are with my dad and, and around my sisters and things for a, a week or two, uh, just trying to help out with logistics and things like that. And in that, that, without wishing to sort of gloss over the event, that is, um, it was hugely important. But today we're talking about that as the catalyst for something that happened to me. Um, so without wishing to sort of brush over that, in the, the weeks and then months that followed, it was incredibly sad. I knew I, I was sad at all the right times. I was sad at the point where my mum died. There was certain triggers, you know, that would set me off, certain memories that won't be talking about with family, friends, etc., um, that would set me off crying. The, the funeral itself was very emotional. But beyond that, I didn't really know what grief was. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was expected of me. My my employers had, as I say, they'd been good to me. They sort of said, come back when you're ready. And I was thinking, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't, I don't know what is ready. I, I think I'm ready now. I felt okay. And I didn't really know what to do with grief. I didn't know if I was feeling it. I didn't know if it would hit me later on. And so I just kind of carried on. And the funny thing about the year that followed my mum's passing, the first thing is people gave me a, a bit of a, a breathing space when it happened which I had actually needed for reasons beyond my mum dying and that was kind of helpful when someone when you lose someone and then you go back to work you go back to work because you want to feel normal again and the people around you don't have the daily reminders that that person that your loved one has died and so quite everyone was wonderful everyone was really really lovely about it couldn't have been more compassionate I had lots of hugs and and lots of love from a lot of people but of course because they don't get the regular reminders they forget and they carry on like normal and Mm. it felt like a very short time before things were just really really normal again and there's me think I would have days months down the line where I would suddenly get very, very upset because of something and it would feel as raw as it had when my mum had just died. But we could be talking several months after when it didn't really make sense to say to someone, oh, I've just started mourning, you know, I've just started grieving. And so you kind of hide it and bottle it up. And then cut to exactly 12 months on from the day that my mum passed away, my dad and my three sisters and I went to, took the day off went to the crematorium where my uh, my mum my, my mum's ashes were scattered with her parents i suddenly was hit with a wave of what i guess now was grief so strong stronger than anything i'd experienced i was standing to to we sort of took it in turns to to go up to the spot where roughly where the where mum's ashes were uh, apologies for for anyone listening to this if this is um is tough listening there, there is hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel um but basically we took it in turns to, to say our bit and then step to the back and I kind of broke down but I didn't want my sisters to see I was trying to be strong for them because they were were more obviously upset um before I was 
and I, I was in a, I suddenly found myself in a real state. Anyway, I pulled myself together and the, the five of us went to uh, a nearby pub and we had the afternoon in the pub. We drank a fair bit. Um, as someone who in my life has drank irresponsibly on many occasions, I'm afraid to say, and I definitely don't recommend it. Um, this was not really an, an occasion where we drank lots and lots. We, we had several drinks, but it, it wasn't a particularly heavy session as you might call it mm. and we we eventually we finished up early evening uh walked back to my dad's house i was staying with him for the evening just me and him we put the telly on we had some food we had a cup of tea i fell asleep on the sofa and at some point um dad woke me up and said he was going to bed so i, I made my way upstairs and, and i went to, to bed as well my dad's bedroom is at the front of his house and my old bedroom is at the, the back of the house um the next thing that i remembered i was in a very brightly lit room with lots of people looking down at me and one of them appeared to be in a doctor's gown or something similar and people were asking me if i was okay and i could see my sister was crying and my dad was clearly concerned and I had something had happened and I didn't know what at the time. Um, it would take quite a long time for me to realise that what had actually happened was, uh, and I remembered vividly, once, once the memory hit, it imprinted itself very vividly in my mind and I can still remember it very clearly. At some point in the night, I woke up and... I was having a, oh, sorry, I, I didn't really wake up. I was having an incredible nightmare that I was in a prisoner of war camp. Um, I watched some pretty vivid, I have watched some pretty vivid movies in, in my time, but I've no idea where this came. I dreamt that I was in a, a prisoner of war camp and that I needed to escape. And I was trying to find a way out of the room. And this is my old bedroom that I, I lived in and, and for many years before I moved out to go to uni and I discovered my escape would be or I decided that my escape would be out of a window and this is a first floor window or if you're listening from the states a second floor window so there's a there's the ground floor below us and this is just the upstairs and below it about I don't know 16 to 20 feet below is um, a concrete patio and we would later put the pieces together and realize what I'd done was not jump, but in fact done what they do in the movies and attempted to uh, tie my bed sheets to part of the window and lower myself down, wow. but it hadn't worked. Um, I can still remember the noise of the window breaking and the slow motion, like that thing on, on the old Roadrunner cartoons where someone runs off a cliff and there's a moment where they're just hovering in midair <laughs> thinking, Ah, wow! So you re you remember you remember that element of it? Yeah, really, wow. really clearly and, now. Yeah. And so, sorry, just to go back a very small step. When you no, say the win the window breaking, did you jump through a window? Um, what actually happened was my I'm I'm laughing because I don't really know what it, it seems so crazy to me now, and you have to be able to laugh when something like this happens, and it's you absolutely. Um. So this, these windows, um, I'll, I'll try and avoid getting too boring about this, but essentially the windows were those ones where you've got a big one that opens um, horizontally, if you like, um, so side to side on either side. And then in the middle, you've got a large pane with a small flappy window that opens vertically at the top. And what I'd done is I'd climbed out one of the large side ones. I tied the bed sheets to the handle of the middle and started to lower myself down and the handle and the part of the frame that it was attached to just ripped away wow and i can still remember the noise that it made when it when it ripped away and i i fell i can remember i can remember the dream i can remember the noise of the of the breaking i can remember looking at a brick wall for a split second in time i can't remember hitting the ground I can remember that I was still dreaming when I hit the ground because my, my dad's got a water fountain in his fish pond. And in my dream, the sound of the running water was a river 
And I thought, if I can get to the river, then a passing aircraft or something will see me and they'll come and rescue me. And I was, at this point, I had fractured my L1 vertebra, I'd squashed my, um, I, I'd sort of crushed one of my backbones and I had completely shattered my heel. Um, and uh, I was in a lot of pain. I was screaming out for help. I remember feeling at once pathetic for being a grown man shouting for help. There's probably uh, some unpacking to do in, in there. Um, and at the same time, thinking that I felt like my, um, my life was slipping away from me. I thought I was dying. I didn't know what damage I'd done at that point, but I was sure that I was somewhere far from home and that I was dying and that I needed for someone to, to come and help me. And then basically my, um, my sister and brother-in-law lived near, near my dad's house. They lived down a lane from him and, and heard he was there on the scene pretty quickly because it was on that side of the house. Um, my, a neighbor was there uh, and my, my dad eventually, um, some police and then eventually an ambulance and uh, and then I woke up in a hospital and then had some time to work out what the hell had happened. I'm conscious I've I've just talked a really long time there, Liam. But does that does that sort of paint a picture of at least what what happened, the incident itself? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's I mean it's a a uh, I mean it's such a an unusual story, I suppose, from 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 never really hearing you talk in that in that sort of level of detail about it it was a good icebreaker for yeah. some time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but i just to paint a little bit more of the, the picture I, I was then in a back brace uh for a few months and for i think i was in the back brace for three months and was in a boot uh, like a padded boot they decided that the and again, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're eating your dinner, or if you're of a slightly squeamish disposition, then I apologize. You, you might want to skip ahead a minute or two. My, your heel bone is one, is essentially one bone. I'm not a doctor, um, but I'm pretty sure I've got this right. Your heel bone is essentially one big chunky bone that sticks out of the back of your foot. And I had landed so, I'd come down uh, standing so upright that I had and landed with that first that it had taken the entire weight of my body and I turned wow. that bone to more or less to, to powder. Uh, what's crazy is, and this is just incredible good luck, the outer line of the bone had kept its shape. And although the inside of the bone had gone to, to mush, the outer, the outer part of the bone was still in the right shape. It hadn't, um, I'll stop there and become a little bit too graphic. The doctors decided I didn't need any pins and they tried to avoid putting you in plaster because it's, it's much more helpful if you can begin doing physio even before the bone has fixed itself. If, if you can get the muscles moving again, it will help with your recovery. So they try not to put yeah. you in plaster these days, I, I understand. That's what I was told anyway. Yeah, so I was scar tissues the... can be worse than breaks and things, can't it, if that builds That's up? That's right. Yeah, so, so yeah. I believe. So... Um, so yeah, so I, I my heel was actually the the worst of the two injuries, and I was on crutches for a long time. I think I was in the boot for about five or six months, and I still I still got it. Wow. They sort of said hang on to it because it, it was a it was a pretty bad injury. But the um, I was told at the time I, I had been in pretty good shape at the time, and had it not been for that fact that under the angle that I dropped at, there was a a distinct chance that I could have twisted that the damage to my spine could have been well un unimaginably worse mm. so while it sounds like a horrific accident and I guess it was a horrific accident it could have been so much worse, worse. and yeah and I'm just incredibly grateful that I got away with it as easily as I did these days um my back, I, I got back into physio and, and going to the gym and things like that. And I'm, my, my back is fitter than ever. I, I am fitter than ever. My heel still, um, if on the days after we've been out for a big walk, 
um, it's it feels like a nerve thing rather than a muscle thing but it will remind me that it's not quite normal and I guess that I've probably got that forever mm. um, but again it could be a hell of a lot worse it doesn't stop me getting out and doing things so so that's kind of the physical aspect of it really that's that's what happened and then um, uh, I think for a long time afterwards I didn't talk about it because people knew some of the circumstances of, of what had happened to me but it was most easy for them to equate it to me having gone to the pub got drunk and jumped out of a window as a kind of stupid drunken thing that people do perhaps when they're a little bit distressed and it was so much more than that um that i it just became quite a complicated thing to, to talk about unless someone wanted to sit down and really get into it like we are now. Mm. And I, I just didn't want that to be the thing that people remembered me for. And the reason that I wanted to um, come, come back to um, the reason why anyone may have tuned into this, the reason why I thought it was important to talk about this on the podcast was because I, we, we can never really know all of the exact reasons why it happened. But when I talked to a doctor um, sometime after the accident and in fact I'd, I'd ended up in in hospital as a result of a panic attack completely unrelated to any of this and we said we'd do an uh, episode on on panic attacks at some point but when I was talking to a doctor about that and he asked if if I had a history of panic attacks and things and I explained about the accident and what he said to me was that the part that alcohol would have played in that night was not uh, was you sleepwalking because essentially when you have alcohol in your system you don't go into as deep asleep and that is where you're more mm. prone to sleepwalking which made sense for me because i've sleepwalked maybe five six times in my life ever and it's only ever when i've been when i've had a few drinks um but he said that the from the 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 dream the the fact that i remained in the dream past the point of this horrendous impact um everything that i he, he said you have a stressful job and I, I think the face that I gave him must have been somewhere between laughter and, and tears because um, that sort of summed up the situation at the moment. We have been going through a tough time at work. Um, and the conclusion that he came to was that this was a result of not addressing over a very long time things like depression, stress, grief. He wasn't telling me off because he understood that some of these things are hard to identify and to call out and to deal with. But he said it sounded an awful lot like I had some demons that needed um, some attention. And the reason that I thought it might be good to talk about this today really was because if you don't, it's very easy for us to turn away from the things that um, are eating us up. Mm. But in the long run, I think that can be so dangerous. My accident was pretty extreme. I pray that something like that doesn't happen to other people, but I've proven that it can. And um, and that it was for that reason, I, I thought this might be a good reminder to people to really get talking and, and try and have more conversations about how you're feeling, which takes us back to the, the kind of top of the podcast. Mm. I mean, there's, yeah, I've, I've got, I've got so many um so many questions tom to ask about that i think before that though it, i would be keen just to um just to hear a little bit more about about what happened afterwards so both in terms of um both in terms of of your kind of physical rehabilitation mm -hmm. um and then also your, you know, how you kind of, how you get over that, an event like that mentally, and then and then sort of combined with those two things, what it, what is the impact, or was there any impact of, of that kind of physically getting better that, that impacted or hindered on your mental recovery from that? Yeah, sure. That that's. Uh, as ever a brilliant question uh it's probably so, two it's probably multiple questions in one so maybe this the starting point is is maybe you can just tell us a bit about the rehab from it sure well okay so the the rehab involved um to to be to begin with the rehab involved not doing anything 
for a really long time. Mm. So I was um, at home with a broken back. Um, there's lots of forms of broken back and, a, and a, mine was about the luckiest version you can possibly get if such a thing exists. So I, I my heart goes out to anyone with, with really severe back injuries. I, I was unbelievably lucky. Uh, but nevertheless, I had, um, I did have a, a, a severe um, back injury that I meant I couldn't move very much. So I had to keep this back brace on, which was really uncomfortable. Um, I could take it off for sleep. Um, but then when I had, if I needed to get up to use the toilet during the night, it was a very painful process of sort of rolling over without twisting my back. And it, it was, it was I didn't think simple things could be so complicated and yet they were mm. um, af after a few weeks of just not doing anything. Um, I was, I became, I had a walking frame if I absolutely needed to move around. And obviously I, I did. If I was going up and down stairs, I had to go on, on my, my hands and my bum and just kind of shuffle up and down everything accompanied to a, a soundtrack of moans and groans and swearing. Um, then in that's kind of the, the boring bit in, in that time actually it's it's important there's some there's some stuff in there that um that i shouldn't miss out in that time i had time i suddenly people left me alone uh there's nothing quite like having a, a broken back for people at work giving you a bit of bit more space <laughs> um so this it was it was not unlike the what i'd gone through it was very unlike but in in terms of people giving me space it was not unlike what had happened a year before um when when my mum had died and i had really needed that time it almost felt in a way like i needed for this to happen i needed um uh, i needed for something big to take me out of the game because I needed to rebuild myself. That's what it felt like. And in fact, there was a part of me after the, I remember saying to Cara not long after the accident, that at the moment it happened in, in the, the very next day, in spite of the physical injury and in particular that the, what I must've put my family through in terms of their worry um, about me for, the accident itself and and for what might lie ahead uh i'm i i'll forever remember how awful that felt but actually a big part of me felt this immense sense of relief i felt like all my troubles drifted away it felt like something had happened that really needed to happen and i am absolutely not suggesting that anyone should try and do something crazy i had no idea this was going to happen this was in no way deliberate um but it felt like my I wasn't consciously making the decision to take the recovery time that I needed to take time out of the game so uh, on some level my subconscious went right you bastard here we go <laughs> I'm gonna do it for you yeah um, so that that that's what it felt like um and it, the the fact that people gave me space um away from work and things like that I had time to I started taking apart watches. I'd always had a fascination with watches and, and I couldn't go very far. So I was watching old movies, which I have a, a bit of a passion for. And I was taking apart old watches and seeing if I could fix them and put them back together. And that eventually became a permanent hobby and, and something that I do um, on more of a full-time um, level as a couple of um, listeners will, will know. Um, Anyway, jump forward a few weeks. There's a lot. Of, I'm not going to try and replay the, every single thing that happened in that time. But um, jump forward a few weeks. Eventually, I was able to start going to physio, which meant lots of exercise, but very, very small exercises. That is lots of lying on the floor and lifting, raising my legs um, and things like that, which eventually progressed to things a little bit closer to sit-ups. But actual sit-ups were a long, long way off. They were further down the line. But certain leg raises and things like that that felt like sit-ups but where the impact was not on my back itself uh, or, or not on the bones of my back and but just helping the muscles um and i actually went to visit a personal trainer 
while I was still in my back brace and, and I was feeling a bit ambitious, but I was so disappointed because I've been working really hard to get into to good shape. And I went and visited um, a guy who was so lovely, so compassionate. And he said, look, we can put something together for you. Um, and I'll, I'll send you to my physiotherapist first so we can get something signed off and make sure that you're okay to do these things. And in no time at all, I was going to the gym in my in my squishy boot um, with my back brace off by this point. Uh, so this is probably five months in, I guess. Mm. And where I had been lifting um, 20 kilo um, dumbbells, I had to go back down to four kilos. And 20 is a lot, actually. I was, I, I was, I hadn't had any, um, for anyone who is listening who knows what they're doing in terms of weightlifting and things, I was lifting way more than, than was right for, for me. Um, but I, I went right back down to four kilos and I had to build myself up one kilo at a time to get my strength back. So this is the kind of, I'd, I'd been so high on all this and then I was starting right back at the beginning. So it really felt like I was physically rebuilding myself. Mm. Um, and it felt that the, the first days at home, I felt first of all relaxed and wonderful and a bit of a glow that this had happened. And I'm being totally honest now. Um, it was a bit of time where I could afford to be selfish and people would let me be selfish and I didn't have to think about anyone else. It kind of trumped anything else that was going on. And I was able just to have time to myself indulging in food and movies and whatever was to hand reading comics um and uh and books and things like that I had a little backpack that i'll carry around because you can't carry anything if you're on crutches or, or a walking frame you don't have a hand free to carry anything no i'd never realized this before uh so i i always had a backpack with um some books a bottle of water um and a couple of other bits in it um so I could move around the house more easily. There was periods when I, I felt a lot of shame because I was embarrassed and I was upset for what I put, what it felt like at the time and for a long time afterwards, I felt like I had put Cara through this and my family and Cara's family, frankly, uh, and I'd worried everyone. And it was years really before I was able to, to look back on it and give myself a bit of forgiveness and and you know sort of go I don't think that was really deliberate then you know there's reasons why that happened you, you probably don't need to beat yeah. yourself up quite so much um yeah and and in time it just when I started doing the training go to the gym a lot and things like that um I felt amazing and it was probably it, it was almost a year before I was walking completely normal and without a limp again Wow. So it took a long time for my heel to heal. Was that what you asked me? Did that yeah, have I answered yeah. some question? No, that's um that's that's yeah, that's that's really uh, well just yeah, just remarkable, uh remarkable story. Uh, I guess yeah, the final point of, of my original question was what what was the impact of the recovery on your mental health it actually sounds like you you got a lot from having that time to be able to um to be able to come to terms with it and put and use that rehabilitation in a very positive way but i imagine there's some quite dark times when that progress is slow and you can't you can't do the things physically that that you could have done previously yeah that that's true it was very it was very very mixed i think that the important thing and the again going back to the reason why i think this is so such an important um thing that i should tell people is that the that initial feeling of freedom when i i felt almost like i i kept imagining the point where i must have hit the floor and i don't know why that it's it's funny because i can't specifically remember that moment i can remember the full before I hit the ground, I can remember the things that happened after it, but I can't remember the point where I injured myself. And yet when I imagine that moment, I got this freeing 
feeling of it was almost like a relief like i've survived it and everything is and, and and now i get some time off and i don't just mean time off work i mean time off life i just needed time out and the reason that i say that is because please 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 and i'm sure i would would have added this into the intro um to do something crazy deliberately is not the way to go about things you could put yourself at enormous risk um but what i should have done it, way before this happened is had the strength to to know that something wasn't right and probably take some time off work and have a good conversation with myself first and foremost and admit how i was feeling about things um, I had gone for ca some counselling about my mum. Um, you, you can never, you can never um, totally avoid grief. It's going to get you when it's going to get you. So I, I can't really beat myself up too much on that front. But I knew that there, that certain things in my life weren't right and hadn't been for a long time, and I had neglected to do something with them. I should have taken more time off work. I was stressed out and I needed a break and I didn't do that. So the lesson for me in that, that phase is, please, if you're feeling, if you're in a space in your life where you know things are really, really, really getting you down, don't be afraid to take time out. Talk to, talk to the people you live with, talk to the people you work for, and tell them that you, you need indefinite time out to, to, to look after yourself before you can be of use again. Um, because that's that's what I didn't do, and I think that that's a large part of what what led up to it. Um, after that initial relief, then you, you're right, Liam. There was a lot of very dark times. Um, guilt, I've already mentioned that resurfaced quite a lot. Frustration, worry that I would never. I was pretty confident that I'd sort my back out. I'd seen the X-rays, and I, I knew that that would heal. Um, but my heel i was really concerned about I, mm. I wondered if i would ever be able to um i've never been really into playing competitive sport particularly but i i ran i walk uh, a lot um i really like outdoorsy pursuits and things and the thought i might not be able to do those was really quite frightening and there was yeah time went quite slowly looking back on it now it seems to have gone past quite quickly but at the time it didn't feel um it, it, it there were moments that went very slowly and i guess i made use of it by by being a bit more mindful at the time and just reading and, and nourishing myself mm. um but with the physical recovery with the exercise with the i can remember the, after I'd gone to see my um, the, the physiotherapist that the personal trainer had suggested I go and see, Cara was going to pick me up at the end of the driveway. It was the, the place was a gym in within a school grounds, and I I said I'll meet you at the edge. I'll come to the edge of the school grounds and pick me up there. And I was flying so high on the idea that I would be able to get into the gym. And I'm not a massive gym. In fact, I'm not even a member of a gym. I haven't been for a long time. But it was just the the ability to be near exercise and things that were going to make me fitter again. That mm. I actually, in, in my back brace and boot and on my crutches, I swung myself down the road so quickly that I passed where I was meant to meet Cara and I met her somewhere like a good part of the way home. I was just just flying. It felt so good. And I can I have such fond memories of those early gym visits where I was lifting so little um, because it every day felt like progress. Mm. And that's a real reminder of the power of exercise. And it doesn't have to be weights. It doesn't have to be big things. I, I remember I was lifting the tiniest, tiniest of weights and I was lying on the floor and lifting one leg repeatedly over and over and over again. It wasn't big stuff, but the feeling of... Um, I guess the endorphins that were released and, and the feeling that yeah. I was doing more than I was previously able to each day was just, just wonderful. Mm, that's um, yeah, that's re that's really interesting. I think that's, that's definitely where you've, where you can, where you can track that progress when you're learning 
you know, you're learning a new skill or a new hobby, or as you say, you know, for going to the gym and getting fitter, and you can see that continual improvement, that's a great source to motivate you to continue. Yeah, definitely. So I thought it, I thought it might be good then to have to talk about some of the kind of broader things uh, to talk about this in a in a broader sense as to to bring all of those uh, all of those different things that that you that we've talked about so far together the first one i guess that i'd the first question i'd like to ask really tom is when you've got such a an interesting story and a and a kind of remarkable recovery that accompanies it why have you felt that it's not something you've been able to talk about before? Uh, I guess it's that thing of, I, I wanted to put, I knew it had been a big thing for me, but I, th- there's an, a few different reasons that all combine, I guess. I sort of wanted to put it behind me. I, like I said earlier, I didn't, I didn't want it to become the thing that defined me so that there was a lot of people who I met for the first time either through work or socially in the period where I was on crutches and, and in a back brace and a big boot and I knew that those people would at least for a long time be reminded of me as the guy who fell out of a window and broke his back and I just didn't want to be that guy I just didn't want I, I felt embarrassed by it um I didn't have i didn't feel confident at the time in talking to people should they ask what had happened to me about the whole ins and outs of it i didn't want to get into the topic of grief i didn't want to have to talk about my mum dying i didn't want to talk about the stress at work because no one very few of us talk about work stress because work stress is something we're supposed to just endure you know you don't talk Mm. about it you just get on with it and that's a really important um topic for me these days um it was i I didn't want to have to get into that because i didn't want to admit that i had been what someone might perceive as weak Mm. for not being able to 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 um put up with my workload and and things like that i didn't want any of that so i was embarrassed by it so I, i guess i I didn't talk about it. And then uh, the, the, um, it also annoyed me that if I was going to talk to someone about it and I wasn't going to give the time to tell the full story, that I would end up telling a, a truncated version that, was, that essentially sounded a lot like I got drunk and fell and it was a, a freak accident. And I've often referred to it as a freak accident. I guess it is a freak accident, but it's so much more complex than mm. than than that, and I it really annoyed me that there were a few people who um, who probably thought that that's all it had been. Um, particularly as I'm not someone who I know what I said earlier about things I may have done in my younger days, but for many 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 years now I don't actually drink that much. So it, it frustrated me that that someone might attribute this thing that had been so important and so nearly catastrophic for me to something so blasé and, and trivial and stupid. So I kind of, there was that there. After a while of not talking about it, I almost kind of forgot about it. So I, I um, as you know, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment, which is about um, 10 years in uh, trying to, live a life in a career that didn't nourish me and mental health battles and how they're handled in a corporate world and i had completely forgotten to put my accident in the when i was when i was writing up the the kind of structure of the book i forgot to so used to sort of glossing over it and and not talking about it I Mm. hadn't even mentioned it and it is of course arguably the most important thing that's happened to me Mm. in the last 10 years it's had such a knock-on effect that 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 incident was I think my subconscious mind telling me something needs to stop and something needs to change and I 
I almost didn't put it in. Of course, I was always, when I got to writing the book, I was, I was clearly going to remember it and go, oh, Christ, that should probably go in there. Um, but at the point, at that point in time, I, I got, just got so used to not wanting to talk about it that it, it didn't even go in there, which seems crazy. So those, those are the reasons why I didn't talk about it a lot. Um, mm. But these days, because of the things that you and I talk about and the reason for this podcast and, and trying to get other people comfortable talking about um, mental health, we don't even need to call it mental health, moods, just talking about how we're feeling. Um, I'm trying to get better at um, not looking for an opportunity to, to tell my incredible story <laughs> when, when I meet people, but um to, to at least not avoid it to, to make sure that um that that people know that about me if if we're going to know each other for any length of time because it's it's important to me mm. do, do you think there's um do you think in not it, it, was there ever any concern for you in not talking about it that it that it gives people the opportunity to make to come up with their own conclusions about what happened that night um, do you know I've never thought about it um, really I, I guess the one the one thing that very occasionally plays on my mind very very occasionally is that anyone might think that I actually just jumped mm. uh, that, it, that it was that I wasn't um, sleepwalking that it was none, none of the above and that actually it was like a suicide attempt or something like that um, but if you could see the height that I jumped from while it is certainly something I wouldn't want to replicate, uh, it also probably wouldn't do the job <laughs> if I was looking to do something more uh, severe. So I, I promise you it wasn't deliberate. But I think that's the only thing that I've, I've really worried about in that respect. Mm. Yeah, I think that, that, was, that was, I guess that was my, my original thought on that is if people are coming to their own conclusions that there's a, that there's a there's a risk that you put that people put two and two together but um but there's you're always going to get that anyway i guess and that that's outside of your um that's outside of your control the, the other true. the other side of it that I, I that i did also want to pick up on and and actually you've just you just made some sort of passing reference to it as well is is there a part of you that thinks that that what happened is just completely completely coincidental or do you think that it that it is some kind of internal manifestation of all of those other things that you got going on uh, you know in your life and that had been going on in the build-up to it whether it's through um you know whether it's through things in your in your personal life and the death of of your mother and or and and combined with all of those sort of pressures at work from that project that you talked about and the kind of weight that comes with those things sure uh i i think that it does it could be seen as a bit convenient for um for it to be the, the fact that i attribute it to things like stress and grief and a build-up of things that i hadn't been addressing might seem a bit convenient to some who might find it easier just to label as a, some sort of wacky episode. Um, but the way that I look at it is for a start, I'm, I'm really afraid of heights and I don't, they don't even have to be big heights. I'm, I struggle to get up a stepladder of about five feet. Um, I don't do jumping off things. I never have done. Um, so that for for a start this is simply not something that i would do and i can't see any way in which i can't i just i don't have an explanation for it if it isn't mm. those things then i really don't know what happened like i said it wasn't even though we had been out and um and we'd had a few drinks that day it wasn't we hadn't drank particularly heavily i was asleep in a bed that I had known for about 12 years before I, before I moved out and went to uni. My, my, um, my parents lived in the, the same house that they lived in when I went to uni. So I, I was comfortable in my surroundings. 
there was there's absolutely no feasible reason why it may have been um but then when i look at everything that had been going on at the time the when i look at the amount of stress that i was facing which was a lot and i was managing other people um at, at the time as well so i was responsible for other quite highly skilled people and i was you know, i had this, this big project on and i was i'd seen my my sisters grieving and i was suddenly hit with this immense wave of grief and aside from all of this of course is the fact that i am someone who and we're yet to kind of conclude whether someone suffers um permanently or whether it's an episodic thing but i am someone who certainly has suffered with depression and i was depressed at the time i definitely was feeling that so mm. i was stressed i was depressed and i was grieving and when i look at all of those things it doesn't surprise me that something happened the fact that it was so extreme i i can't tell you any more than that it, it would be i'd love to be able to see inside no i probably couldn't do it actually i was going to say i'd love to be able to see inside my brain and, and see what what was um the reason for it but i guess there probably isn't one it's your subconscious isn't it so the, the only conclusion that i've been able to draw from it is that on some level i i wanted although i may not have admitted it to myself i wanted an excuse to be taken out of the game for a bit not permanently that's not me i'm i'm not um that isn't me full stop but that i needed a break and i needed out for a while and that that's what i gave myself i think that's yeah it makes sense it's such a it's probably a really well an almost impossible question to answer that one i think really um but it's that it, i it does seem difficult to say that there isn't there isn't some link whether that's um whether that's yeah just coincidental or or it's it's kind of those things coming together to make up a part but they're not done consciously okay. i think it's probably got to have it, it's, it certainly seemed to have some impact in it with with that in mind and and i know that there's probably only a partial there's, there's only some of this is sort of partially in your control but do do you think if you if you were to if you were to have the opportunity to go through the whole experiences again, at what point, at what point do you think you might have done something different? I would like to think that I, if I was to go through it again and I knew what would happen if I didn't do something differently, then I would, at the very least have taken some leave from work not holiday time because holiday time is for living life and getting the most out of life but actually just saying i, I need some uh, a, a friend of mine refers to he has quite a stressful job and occasionally he'll tell his boss he just needs a mental health day and mm. essentially I, I needed that it may not have been something i was able to explain particularly clearly but i, I would i wish that i could have found a way to say I need a few weeks off. I'm not dealing with this very well, mm. which may have led to the things that we we're doing at work being handled slightly better as well, possibly, but who knows, who knows? Um, but I, I certainly wish, I, th I think at, at the very least, that's what I'd like to have done differently. Um, I would come to realize in the years that followed that actually, I just wasn't des while I was I was making a good I was making a good job of of that role and, and I I was in that but I knew that it wasn't really me and couldn't be me forever so mm. I guess there's a chance if I knew everything that I know up to now and I was going back back in time that I may have just left and found another career and tried something completely different mm. um the grief side of it is more difficult. I might have gone yeah. to, I, I might have sought more therapy. I think in, in the years that have followed, and you and I have talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, Liam, but I've, I've come to understand the difference between things like um, counselling 
and therapy and coaching and counseling was it felt really helpful at the time i think it did help me deal to a degree with my mum's passing but what i realize now is that i needed um in terms of being able to prepare myself for future um dips in my mood uh, if i had a, a bit of a, a re recurrence of um of grief or the stress that i was feeling with is therapy or even taking that on one step um, life coaching or coaching of some sort i i wish that i had sought something like that out therapy is but by whatever name you want to call it therapy is such a wonderful wonderful thing and on on our previous episode ben acres was talking about it and, and saying that um he used to, he, he said i'm good at my job because i'm in therapy and he goes to therapy whether he's having a i don't know how we didn't talk about how frequently he goes but he has therapy whether he's generally in a good place or a bad place because he has experienced depression and he has seen what at its worst it can do to people i'd love to be able to go back and I, i'm not a big believer in regrets because i think what happened the things that happen in your life whether you do them or whether they are done to you they all add up to where you are now and if you can say that you're in a relatively good place in your life i kind of think you know may, maybe those things were meant to happen but mm. if i if i was forced to go back and i could do something differently i would certainly talk to myself about maybe seeking out some therapy there's no shame in therapy and actually it feels so good um i think to get things off your chest to be able to talk to someone um who you don't see socially so they're not going to judge you it's not going to change the conversations that you have it's not going to change the way your your mates look at you or the way that you, your husband or your wife looks at you or your mum or your dad or whoever you're talking to someone who is only seeing you in their capacity as a an assistant to make you feel better mm. and what could possibly be better than that um I, I i think it's it's such a wonderful thing and all it really takes is talking to your gp about it you can obviously go down the paid route if it's not something that your gp is going to prescribe uh, for you um but but therapy is is such a wonderful thing um i've i've now gone on to life coaching which i feel is kind of the the next step on from that which i've been doing for some time and really really helps me so th those things I, I wish i could go back and tell myself are available yeah i think that's a really um good thing to 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 sort of bear in mind isn't it for anybody who is who is listening and is maybe feeling like they they don't know where to turn next is that there are there are options and but you have to you have to make the time and give yourself the opportunity to explore those options and and seek out that help sometimes yeah yeah cool that's um well that that's amazing tom and uh, thank you so much for sharing that that with us um because as as you say for something that that happened a you know a reasonable period of time ago that you that you haven't really talked about um it's i, I know from my own experiences that it's it can be really really difficult to to open up and talk about those things so thank you no a pleasure and and thank you for 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 asking me the questions and um and again, a reason why I felt this was so important on, on this episode, both Liam and I thought that it would be um, a great way to demonstrate the importance of normalizing conversation around, again, we, we don't even have to call, it is mental health, which mental health is just your health. But even if we call it your mood, your feelings, we don't need to mask things, we don't need to disguise things. And if we do, for too long it can have really damaging um effects and while what happens to the next person might not be as extreme or, or um crazy as, as what happened to me it could it can still happen it could even be worse and that would just be heartbreaking for good people to to go through such horrific yeah things so you know please if you're out there um seek help if you are and if you're if you're feeling low and if you feel like you you need help with things like that well thank you for listening to this episode of the everyday problems podcast it was a bit graphic this week i hope you managed to make it through it 
We hope that by me sharing my story, you can avoid a similar fate. If you're in a place where you feel you need a little bit of help or just need to reach out and speak to someone, or if you know someone else who's in a similar state, then make sure you're having that conversation. You can reach out and speak to friends or family or a therapist or counsellor or perhaps even a life coach. We'll put some useful links up in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much to all of our listeners and supporters. And if you would like to help us keep the lights on for the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Tom Corneal and donate a tiny amount each month, which helps us cover subscription fees and the amount of time and effort it takes to cover these shows. We're hugely grateful for every little donation that we get. You guys, listeners, supporters, you make all of this possible. If you're finding this podcast useful, then please remember to subscribe so that you don't miss the next show. And also give us a rating if you'd like to. It's really helpful for us. We're so grateful for every bit of support that we get in whatever form we may receive it. Take care, folks.